Hey guys, welcome back to the Wisdom and Stuff podcast. I'm your host, Daryl Boucher, and this is where we cut through the Christianese and tradition-based thoughts that hinder us from the limitless lifestyles that we as actual children of God are designed to walk in. So let's go ahead and dive into the Word and see what the Holy Spirit has for us today. Oh, glory to God. Father, we worship you. We just lift him up. Lift him up. Praise God. Oh, glory to God. We thank you for the Holy Ghost. Leads us and guides us into all truth. Gives us eyes that see and ears that hear and hearts that understand what the Spirit is speaking to the church right now in this very moment. Father, we thank you, Lord God. Oh, glory to God. And we set our minds on things above and not on things of the earth, Lord God. We don't want to... Father, could just hear, Father, get things that, that, that man say, Lord. We don't want enticing words of men's wisdom, but we want demonstration and power of the Holy Ghost. And so we come in right now, Lord God, and we know that your word cannot return void. We know that it carries the power of God. It says in Colossians chapter 1 that your word bears fruit from the day we hear it. And so, Father, we thank you. We humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, and we allow you to exalt us in this time. And we give you glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Well, uh, praise God. I uh, hope you guys came ready. I'm sure you did. Um, uh, you know, just uh, last week we were we were talking about just, um, you know, we're, we're getting obviously the subject of the high priest. And last week we were really talking about the um, the fact that it was it was the just thing for God to give us Jesus. We we can't see ourselves as a charity case that. Uh, you know, God sent Jesus just because he was being kind or generous or, or merciful or pitiful that we can't see ourselves that way. It, it, you know, if, if we do, then we're never going to appropriate and walk in the fullness of the authority that is, that is rightfully ours by Jesus. Um, and, and so, you know, this what we're getting into last time was just that that we have got to change um, the way that we come to God. And, uh, and in, in Hebrews chapter 4, we've already read verse 14 all the way through 16. It says, seeing that we have a great high priest, therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. Right? We come boldly. We don't come apologetically. We don't come, um, you know, just this woe is me attitude. We don't come like worms. We come boldly. Not arrogantly, but confidently, knowing who we are in God. Knowing who we are in Christ. And, and if, if I don't believe that I deserve Jesus, I won't come boldly. I'll still come as if I owe him something. Because whatever I, whatever I, I, this is the thing. If, if I don't receive it freely, then I'm going to receive it through a, a filter of debt. And, uh, and, and the, 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 one of the things that really limits the body of Christ is that debt mentality. That somehow we, we feel like we owe God something. Um. Okay, you know, uh, years ago I was I was in prayer and and um and you know I was just praising God, worshiping God, and the Lord asked me that question. He said, "Do you think that you owe me anything?" And I'm like, "Well, uh, what?" You know, <laughs> I never thought about it really. And then he and then he went on. He said, "You don't owe me anything." And I'm like, "Okay," and and, and then he began to elaborate. He goes, "You don't even owe me Thanksgiving. You don't owe me praise." He goes, I don't want that to be done from a, a place of debt. And then, and I'm like, I'm kind of struggling with the thought of it because honestly, you know, I, the way that I had always been kind of not taught, but just implied and inferred and different things was that because he gave me Jesus, now I owe him, 
praise and thanksgiving and and and, and worship and all these things. And, and here's what God told me because I'm I'm kind of wrestling with this stuff. And He said, He goes, if you owe me something, then it wasn't a free gift. You see, so so we need to get a hold of this. That if if I owe Him anything, then I'm not receiving it freely. He didn't give me something so I would owe him something. He gave me something because I was worthy to receive it. And he and you know it's like it's like any dad, you know, like Jesus said, he goes, even even you good fathers, you know he goes, even you fathers on the earth know how to give your, your children good gifts. He goes, How much more? How much more does our good father, does our heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask of him? How much more does he give good and precious gifts? It says good and perfect gifts, and he never changes, it says. In, in James, right? So now, uh, you know, how, how ridiculous would it be if, you know, your, your parents gave you things for Christmas and birthdays and different times in your life growing up, but they kept a tally of it and the, they gave you a bill at your 18-year birthday or whatever. Okay, now that you're growing up, now it's your, here's what you owe me. You know, and you know, so they don't want that. They gave it to you from love, right? And so what God wanted to do is he wanted to actually create a relationship that was so free and so love-based that I would be able to receive everything freely. And then I would be able to, as freely as I receive, that's how freely I give, praise God. But you see, if I'm only receiving from debt, then I'm only giving. And I'm only giving from debt. I'm only giving from a debt mentality. And it limits how much I can receive and how much I can give. But so many times people are... You know they're they're uh, struggling with things because they they really believe that you know what they they don't believe that they're worthy of God's gifts, and this is what we were talking about last week. And I'm going to continue on with this thought this week. I wasn't going to, but the Lord, he, he just the other day, he was talking to me about this. He go, no, no, we have to continue. We have to we have to pound this home that that we are worthy of the blood of Jesus, that we're worthy of the gift given to us. Because if we don't believe we're worthy of it, see, here's the thing: if I need something. But but I don't have the resource to 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 get it. Then I then I then I'll get it on debt. You know, I'll get it on credit, and then I'll have to pay it back. And so if I'm not receiving things freely, if I don't believe I deserve, I will only freely receive what I believe I deserve. If I don't believe I deserve it, then I won't freely receive it. But you know, like I said, we 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 don't deserve it because of what we've done. We deserve it because of what we of who we are. You know, I don't. I don't deserve that. We have to divorce those terms: deserve and earn. Right? We don't earn anything, but we deserve everything. Just like a little child, a little child, you know, a little baby who's who's maybe only a few months old or whatever. That little baby doesn't earn anything. That but, but that baby deserves everything, right? That baby deserves love and kindness and 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 deserves all the fruit. The, the fruit of the spirit deserves protection and deserves provision and preserve, deserves abundance and deserves you know adoration. That baby deserves all those things. It's that baby's right to get all those things, but doesn't earn any of it. And so, how is it that we can co so quickly receive salvation? which is the highest thing possible, we receive salvation so freely, but everything else somehow we have to earn. And, and the reason is, is because when we receive salvation, many times we have the feeling that we don't deserve it, that he is just doing it out of some kind of merciful thing. And we have to realize, no, salvation was the just thing. Salvation, like we read last time in Isaiah 59, he looked for justice to deal with iniquity because salvation is the just thing. Salvation is the right thing. Sin 
the law of sin and death, those things do not, uh, they're not appropriate for man, they're not made for man, uh, hell wasn't made for man, none of that was made for man, okay? Man was, was designed to live in, in complete and, and utter righteousness uh, in, in the presence of God. Now, the, over there in the Hebrews, what we're talking about, of course, is coming boldly. Now, um, we talked about you know boldness being uh, coming without any sense of inadequacy, any sense of inferiority, right? Any sense of uh, uh, of you know, insecurity. The question is, according to Hebrews four, we're supposed to come boldly. The question is, is it unreasonable for God to expect that of us? Is it unreasonable for him to actually expect us to come without any sense of inadequacy, without any sense of insecurity, without any sense of guilt? If it is, if, if he says it, and he's a just God, like we talked about last week, if he's just, that means that if he says it, it's the fair thing to do. It's the right thing to do. If I don't come boldly, then I'm not being just. If I don't come boldly, then I'm not honoring the blood that was actually paid for me. I, I'm not honoring the covenant that, that God has, has given me. If I don't come boldly. You know, if I come with all this kind of sense of condemnation and fear, then I'm, I'm actually doing an injustice to the blood. I'm doing an injustice to, to the price paid. I'm doing an injustice to my high priest. Because it says, seeing then that we have a high priest, let us come boldly. Okay, seeing that I have a high priest, let us come boldly. And we were talking last week about the scales, about how you know you have you have uh, the scales are when they, they have to be equitous, they have to equal out, right? They have to weigh out equally. So what's on one side of the scale has to be equal to what's on the other side of the scale. And so what he did is he put mankind on one side of the scale and he put the high priest on the other side of the scale. Now the problem is is that is that when we begin to understand what he put on that side of the scale, it, it, there, there, he put infinity on that side of the scale. He put the high priest. He put the blood. He put uh, sanctification. What else did he give us with Jesus? What else? Anybody? Healing. That's a good one. He gave healing, right? He gave abundance. Praise God. What else? Peace, right? That's a good one. Joy. He gave us joy. He gave us what? Sanctification, justification, right? He gave us these. He gave us love. Glory to God. He gave us family. He gave us completeness and wholeness. He gave us an eternal inheritance, being joint heirs with Jesus. I mean, Mike, that's a list, right? And that list will go on and on and on and on. It's an infinite list that he put on that side of the scale. Now, he knew what he was giving us was infinite. He knew it. And so there's no way that I could ever measure up to that. He had to birth me into the inheritance of it. He had to actually birth me by a new creation into the inheritance of it. Because he knew that I couldn't receive it based on works. I had to receive it freely. But I had to... I had to... Okay, God's intention was not for man to ever feel less than uh, less than adequate or less than worthy of the blood. He never wanted us to feel like we had to measure up to it. He never wanted us to feel like, I mean, think about this. Did he create a redemption that somehow would cause inadequacy or insecurity? Did he create a redemption where we're always having to come to him and going, yeah, well, I'm just not worthy of the blood, so I, yeah, I messed up again. No, he created a redemption that was worthy of his creation, of his children that would rule and reign with him forever, right? We're going to rule and reign with him forever and ever, for all of eternity. And he doesn't want insecurity in that. He doesn't want an insecure 
uh, a priesthood or an insecure kingship where we're sitting around on our thrones not being secure how we're going to reign, reign and rule. We have to do it with boldness. We have to do it justifiably bold. Praise God. And so how bold are we supposed to be? Well, we're supposed to be as, as bold as our high priest is. Amen? We're supposed to be as bold as our high priest. Glory to God. Now, with that, we need to get this. That how, how bold is Jesus? He has no sense or consciousness of sin. He has no uh, awareness of, of, of any condemnation whatsoever. He has no expectation in any way, shape, or form of, uh, uh, of punishment or judgment of any kind. All he knows is perf uh, perfect communion with the Father. That's my high priest, and he is, like we read in, in Hebrews chapter 7 last time. Now let me read it again. In Hebrews chapter 7, in verse 26, in, the King, in New King James, it says, For such an high priest was fitting for us, means it's the right thing, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. Praise God. Now, this is huge because when we understand that he is the just and accurate representative of us, then we can begin to do something. We can begin to understand who we are based on what he has done. That's what we were talking about last week was on the scale. We find out our worth by what he did on the other side of it. You know, it's like this in, in Matthew 25. Matthew 25 uh, is the parable of the talents, right? And it says that to one guy he gave five and to the other two and to the other one. And it says that he gave each one, it says, according to his own ability. So each, so the, the guy who had five, he had the ability to invest five, right? The guy who had two had the ability to invest two. The guy who had one had the ability to invest one. Does that make sense? Okay, we're tracking with that. Okay. Um, so that tells, it says that he gave each according to their own ability. So if he would have used, let's say, more than that, and more examples of, of, of people than that, if, if, let's say, he would have given somebody eight talents, if he would have given somebody eight talents, and here he is, being the just God that we know he is, and we know that he only gives according to their ability, then if he gave somebody eight talents, my conclusion would be that the guy who received the eight talents would have the ability of eight is that right? Because the guy who had the five had the ability of five, two, two, one, one, right? So if somebody were to get eight talents, he would have the ability for eight talents because God's a just God. And so whatever God does, I want you to see this, whatever he gives, uh, I want you to see it, <laughs> whatever he gives on this side of the scale declares the ability of the other side. It declares it. Just like when he gave the guy five talents, he was declaring that he had the ability for five. Well, when he gave me Jesus, he was declaring my nature and my worthiness and my ability to actually walk in Jesus' priesthood. Ah, doesn't mean that I'm the high priest. It means that I'm worthy of his priesthood. It means I'm worthy to walk with him being my high priest. It means that I am equal to that kind of a high priestly office. I'm equal to the price that was paid. Okay? Because he's just. So if he, whatever he, oh man, whatever he does on this side of the scale declares the worth of the other side of the scale. I'll clarify glory to God. <laughs> so uh, let's just get into this. Um, with knowing that, let's get into exactly what kind of high priest we have here. Hebrews chapter 7. 
Now, in Hebrews chapter 7, he's talking about Melchizedek, right? And, um, oh, glory to God. Uh, in fact, uh, chapter 6, verse 20, the last verse of chapter 6 says, Whether the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus, made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Okay, so now... This, this whole next chapter is talking about Jesus being in the priesthood of Melchizedek. And he's talking about, and I'm just going to kind of give you a summary of it before we read it so that you can kind of see where, where it's going as I read. Because he, what he's talking about, he's talking about the fact that there was, the, there was Melchizedek was a priest in uh, Abraham's time, right? Abraham came and he gave tithes to Melchizedek. And uh, and even in, in that you see if you see what happens here is that oh my goodness um well let's let's just keep going here so Melchizedek was was a priest in in Abraham's time four hundred and some odd years before the Levitical priesthood was ordained by God okay so before the Mosaic law before Moses got the law up on the mountain eight, uh, the the only the only uh, mention of a of a high priest is Melchizedek, and uh, and then you have four hundred some odd years later, Moses is up on the mountain, and God ordains the Levitical priesthood that would come through the tribe of Levi, uh, would you know descendants of 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 Aaron, right? And uh, and so here God sets up a Levitical priesthood to be priest over the law. Okay, so in Hebrews seven, what he's doing is he's saying there was a priest, there was priests that were that were offering sacrifices every day and throughout the year, and the high priest would go in once a year with with the blood of a bull, and all of those priestly ordinances were happening in accordance with a law that was given. God gave Moses a law, and that law was actually. Uh, uh, you know, given through the commandments, and then there was a priesthood to govern that law. Okay, and the priesthood there was to govern the law that was basically holding back the sin of man from judgment so that God's people on the earth could walk in the blessing. And so that those those priests, they were there mediating the sin of, of, of Israel so that Israel could be could could year by year walk in the blessing of God. Okay? And that's what that priesthood was there for. And they did rules and rituals and ceremonies and sacrifices and gifts and all kinds of stuff. And then they had the high priest that went in once a year like we talk about. Okay, but then you have a different high priest mentioned in the Bible called the priest, the, the high priest uh, Melchizedek. Now Melchizedek, he wasn't had nothing to do with the law or with Aaron or with the Levitical priesthood. He was not. He was not made a priest uh, because of a law. He was simply made priest because God spoke to him and said, I call you a priest. And it was simply by the word of God himself. And so he was not he was not a priest over the law. He was a priest over faith. He was the priest who came to Abraham. He was there and, and Abraham came to him and after the slaughter of the kings, Abraham came and he offered him. Now if you, if you go back and you read the account in 1 Kings 14 oh, excuse me, Genesis 14 you see that Abraham comes to Melchizedek, and he and and Melchizedek comes out, and he has bread and wine. Okay, and it says that that uh, um, uh, now Melchizedek came out with bread and wine, and he blessed Abraham, and Abraham gave him the tithe of all. 
Okay, and so we see that this was not about a law. This was not. There was no bulls there. There was no sacrifice going on. This wasn't about sin. This was about Abraham, the father of our faith. This was about a faith thing, and faith came, and faith actually stood and received the blessing from Melchizedek. Melchizedek didn't come out with a bull that he was about to kill. He came out with bread and with wine. That represents communion. That represents one flesh covenant. That represents a higher thing than the law ever good. And so this Melchizedek comes out and he represents faith. He, he represents communion. He represents the blood and the body of Christ himself. Praise God. And he comes out and he blesses and he communes with Abraham and he blesses him and he blesses him and he communes with him and he communes with him. And then as a result, Abraham gives him the tithe of all. Man, this is a holy exchange that has nothing to do with sin. It has to do with faith, with victory, with the blessing, with the promises. And that's the, that is the priest Melchizedek. And so we see in Hebrews 7, Jesus is made a high priest, not after the law, not dealing with the sin of man, but dealing, I mean, he deals with sin, but he's not a high priest over sin. He's a high priest over a new covenant that's based on faith and, and based on a uh, covenant of communion with God. Praise God. So, with that, let's just read this. Uh, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 1. It says, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being by interpretation king of righteousness, and after that the king of Salem, which is the king of peace. Now, some people, they, 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 and I, I don't know, I'm not going to say, I, I don't have doctrine about this, but some people believe that, G, that, that Melchizedek was the pre-incarnate Christ. Could be. I don't know. Um, I don't have enough in the Word that tells me that, uh, and, and God's never told me that one way or the other. I've never asked. I don't really care that much. Um, and he might be, but he might not be. I don't know. But I, all I can do is I can go by what the Word says, okay? And, um... And so what we do know is he was a king, and it says that he was actually king of Salem. Now that word Salem means shalom, right? That's the Hebrew word shalom, peace, king of peace. It calls him the king of righteousness as well. And so he represented, he was he was a, a governing authority over righteousness and peace. Praise God. So it definitely sounds like, you know, the, the same office Jesus would carry, whether he was he was incarnate or not, I don't know. Um, anyway, but, uh, but we know this, that, that he was the king of Salem. Now... Salem was a, a city in Israel, and um, and it was it was uh, uh, it was Shalom. It was a city of peace in 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 Israel, and it was an ancient city. And then there was a smaller city that was next to it, and those and, and that was the city of Jebu. And and Jebu and Salem they basically ended up growing together to become one larger city, and and they became the city of Jebu Salem, which is Jerusalem. And so you see that this was actually the king of Jerusalem, right? And so he was the king of righteousness and he was the king of peace. And this is what he was governing over. He wasn't governing over the law of ordinances and commandments. He wasn't governing over the law that 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 talked about commandments of, of sin and, and, and all that. He was governing over righteousness and peace. And this is the communion that Abraham had with him. And so he says... Um, uh, Verse three, without father, without mother. Now, now he's, that doesn't, that's not necessarily meaning that he didn't have a, dad, a mom or dad. It just means that he doesn't have in in the in the Jewish history genealogies. There's nothing notable about Melchizedek here that recognize him from coming from royalty or anything. 
um, it says, made like unto the Son of God, abiding a priest continually. Now consider how great this man was, who even the patriarch Avon gave the tenth part of the spoils. And verily they that are the sons of Levi, who receive the office of the priesthood, have commandment to take tithes of the people according to the law, that is, of their brethren, uh, though they come out of the loins of Abraham. But he, whose descent is not counted from them, receives tithes of Abraham, and, and blessed him that had the promises. And without all contradiction, the, the less is blessed of the better. And here men die that receive tithes, but there he receives them, of whom it is witness that he lives. And as I, I may say also, Levi also, who received tithes, paid tithes in Abraham. For he was yet in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. And he's just saying that the whole Levitical priesthood actually gave honor to Melchizedek as the high priest, because they were in, they were still within Abraham before they were born. And verse 11, For if therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under the, the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should arise after the order of Melchizedek, and not be called after the order of Aaron? For the priesthood being changed, there is made of necessity a change also of the law. I love this. He was like, because we have a different priest, we now have a different law. We don't operate under the law of sin and death. We don't operate under the law of commandments of obedience. We under we operate in the law of love and of faith and the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Praise God. A new new covenant, new priest, new law. Praise God. That's huge. Uh, verse 13, For he of whom these things are spoken pertains to another tribe, of which no man gave utterance or attendance at the altar. For it's evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah. He's going, he didn't come from Levi, of which tribe Moses spake nothing concerning priesthood. It is yet far more evident, uh, for that after the similitude of Melchizedek there rises another priest. And here he's going, there had to be another priest. There had to be another priest because God was actually recreating. Uh, he was making new creations. He didn't want the old priest over the old law, over the old man. He was making a new man, new creation, new law, new high priest, new everything, right? And so, and he, like I said, he didn't want, uh, um, he didn't just want to recreate a new race of beings that would be under the law of sin and death and condemnation and, and, and obedience and consequence and all these things. Things. He wanted the he wanted to create a royal a royal priesthood uh, a chosen generation. He wanted to create a whole new race of beings that would actually be so free from sin that they wouldn't need a law or a law or a priest to govern them from sin, but a but a priest and the law of life that was totally free from sin. And so he created Jesus being the high priest after the order of Melchizedek because he was the one worthy of who we we're going to be. He was the one worthy of the new creation. He was the one worthy of, of who we are uh, created in his likeness and his image. And the old priests weren't worthy of that. The old priests had to had to sacrifice for themselves because they also sinned. They had to sacrifice for themselves. And, and of course, they you know, they were limited by death because they were mortal. But here Jesus comes as a new, ah, praise God, new covenant, new priest uh, under a, a new law. Praise God. And this is who we are. I want you to see that he didn't do this because... Of his mercy, he did because of justice, because of who we're designed to be. Glory to God. Um, okay, here we go. Uh, verse fourteen. Uh, no, we, okay. Uh, we had verse fifteen. Verse sixteen. Who is made not after the law of a carnal commandment, but after the power of an endless life? 
You know, what I'm saying he's not fueled by the he's not fueled by by a law that was that was etched in stone. He's fueled by the endless life of God Himself. He is fueled. The the the, the priesthood of Melchizedek was not given. Because of a command given to Moses, the priesthood of Mo of of of, of uh, Melchizedek was given because of the, the the word of God Himself, the endless word of God. Verse seventeen: For He testifies. First, this God testifies: Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For there is verily a disannulling of the commandment going before for the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. In other words, the commandment was too weak, as tied to the flesh. For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which we draw nigh unto God. Praise God. Notice that. Oh, hmm. Now, let me read that again. For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing hope of a better hope did, by the which we draw nigh unto God. See, this is how we draw nigh. We come near. This is the this is a Melchizedek. Uh, Abraham, you know, Abraham went right to the high priest. He came in boldly. There was a boldness about Melchizedek and Abraham. There, there's a boldness about us and our high priest. Um, it says, verse 20, And inasmuch as not without an oath he was made a priest, for those priests were made without an oath, but this with an oath, by him that said unto him, The Lord swear and will not repent that thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Praise God. <laughs> you understand? This is not about, this is not about a fleshly law. This is not about, um, just the, the, this isn't even about the sin of men. He dealt with the sin with his blood, but he's a high priest over the new law apart from sin. Let's keep going. Um, verse 22. By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament or a better covenant. And they truly were many priests because they were not suffered to, con to continue by reason of death. But this man, glory to God. This man, Jesus, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore, he is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto him, unto God by him, seeing he ever lives to make intercession for them. And this is the verse that we've already read, verse 26. For such an high priest is fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens, who needs not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice, first for his own sins, and then for the people's, for this he did once when he offered up himself, praise God. For the law makes men um, high priests which have infirmity, but the word of the oath which was since the law makes the son who is consecrated forevermore. And of course, chapter 8, verse 1 says, Now of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. We have such an high priest which is set at the right hand of the throne of the majesty of heavens, a minister of the sanctuary of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man. Praise God. You see what he's didn't do what he's doing here. He's going, he created a, a higher high priest because we were always designed to live a higher life than, than, than that which is just under commandment of law. The old high priests, what they did is they actually walked out, uh, that this, they mediated between sinful man and a righteous God. But now we're new creations. And so now we are not sinful men and a righteous God. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus as new creations. And so our high High priest actually mediates us, uh, uh, mediates our authority into the earth for God now. Praise God. I'll get into that more next time. But understand that this is about 
This is about Jesus being our high priest and being worthy of us and realizing that God, when he looked at the priesthood of the, of the Levites, they were not worthy of us. They were not worthy of who he designed us to be. They, they did their job. They did what they were supposed to do, but they were born into sin. And so being born into sin, they could not walk out a priesthood that was worthy of us who he actually designed to be new creations without sin, without the law of sin. Praise God. Now, when we begin to understand this, then we begin to get a hold of the fact that we are worthy to be new creations because he designed us. He designed us not when we were in our mother's womb. He designed us in that secret place. He designed us to be fearfully and wonderfully made. And uh, the more we begin to, to understand that the price that was paid, once again, talking about those scales, the price that was paid for us, the high priest, the blood of Jesus, all those things, the price that was paid was not about the cost, but about what it was worth. Religion always focuses on the cost. It focuses on the price that was paid instead of on what we are worth. When we realize that what he paid is, it's just like a, um, you know, it's like a, an infomercial, you know, an infomercial. What do they do? You ever see, you know, the infomercials, you have to like the brand new, wonderful hose. You know, you got a garden hose, the greatest, newest, wonderful garden hose that's ever lived. And, um, and what they do is they talk about the garden hose and they talk about how inferior your current garden hose is and they talk about how great this garden hose is and how, you know, but see, they won't give you the price in the first minute, do they? They give you the price at the end. Why? Because they want you to focus on worth. They want you to focus on what you're getting for the price that's going to be paid. And if you can focus on worth, then you begin to focus on, you, then, then you don't look at it like a sacrifice anymore. You look at it as an investment. Right, you look at it like, oh man, this is a good deal. Because if they can tell you, and they can, they can, they can conclude in your mind that man, you will live a totally different lifestyle if only you had a different hose. If you only had a different hose, life would be sunshine and roses every day of your life. And how have you gone this long without that hose? Oh my land! You know how on earth could you live another day without the amazing new wonder hose? Well, you know, you, they build up the worth. So that when they give you the cost, you're like, man, is that all? And if I act now, what's going to happen? That's right. Yeah, They're going to give me another one. And don't stop there. They'll give me some accessories and blah, blah, blah. You know, but understand that what they do is they, they build up the worth and not the cost, right? And the, the problem is this, is that God, he's so cool. He wants us to build up the worth of who we are rather than the cost of what was paid. I don't believe that he died on a cross 2,000 years ago so we could spend 2,000 years talking about the price that, it, that was paid. I, I, I think he would rather us actually talk about what it purchased. Yeah, I think he would rather us live up to the worth of who we are rather than the cost that, was, that, was, that, that it cost Jesus. You know, but... Religion focuses on the cost. And as long as we focus on the cost, we actually magnify separation. Because as long as we focus on the cost and we don't focus on the worth, then we'll always be saying we weren't worthy of that. We don't deserve that. And like I said, you know, I don't deserve it based on my actions. I deserve it based on my nature. I deserve it based on what God created and not what I have done with his creation. Okay? 
My actions don't deserve anything. But my nature, the way God created me and designed me, deserves everything. I earn nothing. I deserve everything. And so as we begin to understand uh, that, that we, as we... Man, when we when we get into worth, when we begin to build up worth, go back through Hebrews chapter seven, what we just read. He's building worth. He's going. You are worthy of a greater high priest. You are worthy of an eternal high priest. You are worthy of a high priest that was fitting for you. And this and this high priest, verse twenty six, that was fitting for you was holy. And he's fitting for you because he's holy, and because he's undefiled, and because he's separate from sinners, and because he's higher than the heavens. He's worthy of you. He's worthy of you because of these things. And see, when we begin to understand our worth, then we can come and receive forgiveness so quickly. We can be, we can come and begin to steward the higher things of God so easily instead of feeling inadequate to the task. Instead of feeling like we just don't deserve to be put in that position. No, we need to begin to understand that, that uh, we have to attack that debt mentality and freely receive and freely freely receive what, what, what we believe we deserve. Now, an interesting thing, I was thinking about this, um, you know, when, when we understand about worth and value and all these other things, I was thinking about this the other night and how, um, you know, there's just times when, uh, you know, there's when, when people have, have had had something and they didn't know the value. They didn't know what it was worth. And if you don't know what it's worth, then you're going to treat it a certain way. And I was thinking about this, and I thought, well, you know, let me let me look up something. And you know, if you ever watch the Antique Road Show, you know, I'm talking about Antique Road Show. It's on like PBS, and I've I've watched it for years. I, I enjoy it. I don't watch it, you know regularly all the time now, but but I've seen it quite a bit over the years. Been on like I don't know 30 years or something. I don't know what it's been on, but a long time. And it's on it's on PBS, like I said. And uh, you know, so they, these guys they bring in stuff from their house. They bring in some kind of thing, and they, they have people appraise what it's worth. They don't know what it's worth, so they bring it to the experts. The experts tell them what it's worth, right? And so I looked up this thing, and um, the story about this guy. He was watching the Antiques Roadshow, and uh, he uh, he sees somebody have a Navajo uh, blanket on the Antique Roadshow. And he looks at it, and, and the, this guy, he brings it in, and they say that this, this blanket is worth a lot of money. And um, and so he's going, man. He goes, I, I. He goes, I have a blanket that you know was my grandma's, and um, he goes, it looks a lot like that blanket. It's in my closet. Had it in his closet for like seven or eight years. Now, interesting thing about this story is. Here he is. This guy is destitute. I mean, he had gone through some stuff in life, and he needed money. I mean, he was he was living in a shack, literally a shack, right? And um, and he had this blanket, and where the blanket came from was his grandma's house. Well, his grandma, before she passed, uh, she had this blanket, and she just used it for whatever. It's a utility blanket, right? And so she actually, uh, he said, the, one of the last things he remembers them using the blanket for was she had it out on her front porch, and the cat had given uh, uh, birth to litter kittens on this blanket. That's how highly esteemed his grandma esteemed this blanket. <laughs> and so, anyway, and so he's, after his grandma passed, he, when he was over at the house, it, basically his relatives and stuff had pretty much stripped the house. There was nothing left in the house. People had taken everything. And he said, all that was left in the house was this bag. There was a bag sitting on the floor. And him and his sister were there, and his sister had already been in getting stuff. And But he's just there. He's like getting the remnants of whatever. And he picks up this bag. Two blankets fall out of this bag, right? He said one of them was this blanket that that 
the cat had kittens on, and the other one was just kind of a more pretty blue blanket that that looked like a Eastern type blanket. Well, his sister wanted the other wanted the blue blanket, so she took it, left him with this bag full of a bunch of junk and this nasty blanket that the cat had kittens on. So he has this blanket in his closet for the last seven or eight years. He's watching Antique Roadshow, right? And he's going that that blanket looks a lot like my blanket, and so he goes to the closet. And he pulls the blanket out, and he says he's holding it up to the television, seeing if it, if it kind of looks the same. He says he, he it looks like it's pretty close to the same. And so he calls his mom up like the next day or two, and his mom's like, no, that's that's nothing. That, that blanket's not worth anything. It's not even worth $10. Don't even waste your time. It's, it's just garbage blanket, just something that your grandma had. Who cares? And so he didn't let it go, though. So he went to um, a few different antique shops, you know, as far as just to see if somebody could appraise the blanket for him. And, um, and you know, he said that all of them said it, was, it wasn't really worth anything. It was an old blanket, you know, uh, just maybe worth 20, 30 bucks, you know, whatever, up to maybe 80 bucks or something. It's an old blanket. Who cares? And, but he just wouldn't let it go, right? He, he really felt like he had something. And so he ended up finding um, uh, somebody that was actually, he said he was fairly local. He just didn't know they were there until he looked it up. But he found somebody who dealt with Native American, uh, you know, antiquities. And um, and so he, he brought it over to him, you know. And the guy, he looks at it and he gets really excited about this blanket, right? And he's like, oh, you, he goes, uh, he goes, I need to I need to, to do some research. He goes, but this looks really promising. And the guy, he gets excited. He's going, no, maybe it's worth some money, maybe like twenty, thirty thousand bucks. You know, it could be worth something. Because the guy, the guy on TV, I think his blanket's worth like a half a million or something like this, right? And um, and so he's going, well, maybe mine's worth like twenty, thirty thousand bucks or you know whatever. I mean, he's living destitute. He needs some money, and so. Um, so the guy, he, you know, he did the research, uh, gets back to him. He says, this blanket was actually made for, uh, you know, like a, a, a chief. You know, it was a, a chieftain Navajo blanket. And it's like the highest thing he's ever seen in quality. It's, it's, it's this ridiculously, you know, valuable blanket. And he tells the guy, he goes, if we put this thing in auction, he goes, it could get, you know, up to, you know, 800,000 bucks. You can get that much. You know, and uh, and the guy's like, whoa. You know, well, he ends up. You know, he he he's so he starts going through the the process of going through this auction, which means it has to be publicized. All kinds of things have to happen. Time goes by. They build. They they get it advertised. They have it authenticated. All kinds of things have to happen. Right in this process. Well, in the meantime, uh, you know, this guy is really like I said, he's hurting for money. And uh, in the meantime, though, he had people come and offer him. You know, different amounts of money just to, to get the blanket and and not to have him go to auction with it. Well, the the the, the guy who uh, you know who he took it to originally, he wanted the you know he 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 finally met with him. He goes, listen. He goes, I know you're getting pressure. I know you're getting pressure to sell the blanket before the auction. He goes, but don't do it. Don't 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 do it. He goes, here's the here's the thing. And, he, and the guy sat there and wrote him a check for like ten thousand dollars. He goes, will this get you over? Will this will this help you out until the auction? And the guy said, yeah. And he took the money. That's how much this man believed in the value of the blanket. He goes, I'll give you personally ten thousand my own dollars if you just wait for the auction because I don't want you to be shortchanged. They get to the auction. The auction lasted, I think it was 77 seconds, right? It came down to two bidders bidding against each other. In 77 seconds, that blanket came in at $1.5 million. $1.5 million. That's what he sold the blanket for. <laughs> and then I found out, that was like in 2000 and. 
10 or 12, 12 or something like that. And then I found out a few years later, it was sold again for $1.8 million. That's how much that blanket was worth, right? Now, you understand this. That this guy had this blanket. His grandma had the blanket. Didn't value it, obviously, right? She had her cats, had kittens on it. She didn't know the worth of it. His mom didn't know the worth of it. His sister didn't know the worth of it. He didn't know the worth of it. The experts that he took it to, you know, in, in, in these things, they didn't know the worth of it, right? But he took it to a, the right guy who actually had the eye for it. He knew what he was looking for. He was an expert in Native American antiquities. The other ones weren't. And he looked at it and he saw it for what it was worth. Right? He knew what it was worth. And the thing is, is that this guy who had this blanket, he had to, he had to not listen to what he believed all of his life. He had to not listen to what his grandma believed, what his mom believed, what his sister believed, what all these naysayers believed. He couldn't listen to all that. He had to listen to the expert. He had to listen to the one guy who actually had, had some kind of expertise in this field and believed in the worth of that blanket. Now I'm saying this because we need to get a hold of this. That there's only one that gets to define what we're worth. There's only one that gets to define what we're, how valuable we are. And that is our designer. The designer. The expert. He's the only one who gets to say what we're worth. The one who created us is the only one who gets to say what we're worth. We can't allow ourselves to say our, our, our what we're worth. We can't allow even our, our, you know, even the ones who love us the most on this earth do not know what we're worth. God, the great God Jehovah, the one who created us, and, the, and oh my goodness, the one who actually fearfully and wonderfully made us, he knows our worth. Mm. You know, there's a saying uh, that says that something is only worth what somebody's willing to pay for it, right? That blanket was worth, well now, $1.8 million, because that's what somebody's willing to pay for it. That's the old saying. Something is only worth what somebody's willing to pay, right? What did God pay for us? Oh, glory. Well, you see it. What did he pay? What did he put on that side of the scale? You understand that, that it wasn't sin on this side of the scale. It was mankind was on this side of the scale. And God put himself through Jesus as our high priest on the other side of the scale. And he's declaring our worth. He's going, you are worthy of all of it. You're deserving of all of it. But now, I mean, think about this man who he had this blanket. It was folded up in, in his closet. If his grandma would have known it was worth a, over a million dollars, she wouldn't have treated it the way she did. She would have esteemed it highly. She would have, who knows what she would have done with it. But the person, who, I, bet, I, I would guarantee you, and I can't, I shouldn't say guarantee, but my good, good guess is the guy who bought it for $1.5 million and then sold it for $1.8 million. Now, that guy who owns it, who paid $1.8 million, I doubt he's using it to have cat litters birthed on. I doubt that. I just... You know, I think it's, I think it's a pretty good guess. He's probably not having his animals give birth on that blanket. He paid $1.8 million because he knows the worth of it. And so... I just want us to understand when we come in, we begin to understand what the high priest did. We need to begin to steward things. We need to be, we are, we are designed to be kings and priests, not only on this earth, but for eternity to come. And to be king and a priest over something that's eternal, we have got to live up to that place where we realize, oh my goodness, we are worthy of this. And as our worth that will allow us to freely receive, not only freely receive, but we will freely give. We will steward and govern over those things. If we don't freely receive it, we won't steward it. 
will be too intimidated by it. But if we understand that God, his action determines our value. So when he actually chose to... Oh my goodness. When he chose to actually send Jesus, he was determining my value. And he's the only one that has the right to do it. You can have people all around your life telling you that you're not worthy. You can have people who even love you tell you that you're not worthy. You can have people who, who even admire you or whatever, blah, blah, blah. But they're not going to know how worthy you are or what you're designed to be or what you're designed to walk in. They're, they're not gonna, they're not gonna know. Because they're not the eternal father. They're not actually, they're not the ones who created and designed you. God, the infinite one, the one who creates all things, the one who only gives good and perfect gifts, the one who does all of that, the one who actually paid his, his, his the ultimate price for you, he did it because you were worth it. Because you were a worthy investment, because he knows what you're worth. So he sat there and said, you know what? I'm going to give my son because that's the right thing to do. And if that's all I got to do, I'll just do that. That's no big deal because the, 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 my children, the children of the Most High God, are worthy of that. And what we need to do is we need to begin to see ourselves in the light of the high priest as him not just paying the price for us, but actually investing in us and being worthy of us and realizing he's the only one worthy of us because we were worth that much. And as we do that, then he, when he begins to show us our giftings and our callings, just like with the parable of the talents, when he shows us our giftings and our callings, then we can begin to say, man, every time he shows me more of my calling, it's because I'm worthy of that. It's because I have more than enough ability to walk that out. And it's not another weight on me that I have to measure up to. But we have to begin to live worthy. We need to begin to understand that there is, uh, there is a, a, a way that we need to carry ourselves and hold ourselves high and lift ourselves. I'm, I'm not talking about being prideful. I'm talking about knowing who we are. You know, and so I, we shouldn't walk around like, like monkeys or like dogs. We are, we are children of the most high God. And as children of the Most High God, we steward the things of God. We steward the fruit of the Spirit in the earth. We steward righteousness. We steward these things. And we have a high priest that is worthy of us, fitting for us, holy, undefiled, separate from sinners, and seated higher than the heavens, because that's who we are in Him. Amen. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, I just thank you, Lord God, right now, in the name of Jesus. I just thank you, Father God, just for your word. I thank you for your ways. I just thank you for, Father God, establishing our worth, establishing our worth through the blood of Jesus, establishing our worth through the, through, through the high priest that is after the order of Melchizedek. Father God, nothing else was worthy of us. And I just thank you, Lord God, that we choose to receive this. We humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. We humble ourselves unto your design. We humble ourselves, Father God, and say, yes, we are worthy of the blood. Yes, we are worthy to be called the, the, the children of our Father. Yes, we're worthy to, to carry the DNA of our Father God. And we're not going to walk as the prodigal son who said, oh, no, we're not worthy. Uh, just make us like our uh, a servant. No, we're going to step up. And Father God, walk worthy of the blood and walk worthy of, of, of who you have already called us uh, worthy of. And so we just thank you, Lord God, for it right now in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Praise God. Thanks for joining us today on Wisdom and Stuff. Don't forget to subscribe to get new updates and check out our podcast page on Podbean to find all our previous posts and full-length messages. We'll see you next time and have a blessed day.